Thank you for checking out the sermon at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you have access to other resources, information about who we are, and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing through our church. Once again, thanks for checking out this sermon. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. For the past few weekends, we have been unpacking what we call the big idea. And I want to put that big idea back up on the screen, and I want you to read it out loud with me as we begin together this morning. You ready? One, two, three. As the people of God, we are who we are because of who Jesus is. That's a statement of identity. If you're visiting with us, we are studying straight through the wonderful New Testament letter of 1 Peter. If you have your Bible, I'm going to encourage you to go ahead and open to the book of 1 Peter. And in 1 Peter, really the first chapter and a half is really devoted to this big idea. As the people of God, we are who we are because of who Jesus is. And that's the foundation that Peter has been laying. And I told you over the last couple of weekends, one of the greatest things that could happen to any one of us is if we would begin to see ourselves the way God sees us, if we could begin to understand some of the truths about us in Scripture, and by faith grab a hold of those and apply them to our lives. And we've looked at some wonderful positional truth about who we now are in Christ. Last week, and I introduced the second part of this statement to you, this big idea that I want to put up on the screen, and I want you to read it now the whole thing together. As the people of God, we are who we are because of who Jesus is and Who we are in Him shapes how we live. As we come to chapter 2, last weekend, verses 11 and 12, there's a shift that takes place here in the book of 1 Peter. Up until this point, Peter had been talking about who we are in Christ. And who Christ is in us and everything we are, we are. We talked about some great things like we are loved by God. We are chosen by God. We're a part of the royal priesthood. We belong to the king's family. We're a holy nation. We have received the mercy of God. We didn't used to be a people of God, but now we are the people of God. All these positional truths about who we are in Christ... But then we come to chapter 2, verse 11. I want to put it back up on the screen, what we read last weekend, because there was a turning point. Look what he said. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Verse 12. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, if you don't see these verses in their context, you miss what Peter is teaching us. If you just pull these verses out, it sounds like he's just simply giving us some rules about how we're to live as Christians. That is not what he's saying. 
All the way up until this point in 1 Peter, he's been laying the foundation. This is who Jesus is. This is now who you are because of who Jesus is. And because of who Jesus is, now Peter says, that begins to affect the way that you live your life. I begin to live now out of the overflow of my new identity in Christ. But he warned us that we have a flesh, our old patterns and desires and habits and attitudes, we have a flesh that is warring against Christ in us. And we talked about that last weekend. How many of you felt the battle this week, right? Yeah, don't look at me like you're at church. Look at me honestly, right? You felt it just like I did. You went out of here on cloud nine, man, this is who I am in Christ. But man, as soon as you get outside the building, the war between the flesh and Christ in us begins to be a very real thing. And we said, as we fight that battle daily, moment by moment on the inside, how do we do that? Remember last weekend? We do that by exposing the lies of the enemy to the truth of God, and then by faith, embracing the truth. If you weren't here last weekend, you can go back and watch online and go deeper into what I just talked about. But as we do that, as you and I now do battle against the flesh by the Spirit of God in us, what happens is Christ changes us on the inside so that what comes out of us is not just a better version of us. It's literally Christ in us. And that's what Peter means when he says here in verse 12, keeping your behavior excellent. In the English translation, it says, keep your behavior excellent, like it's an imperative. But it's really not an imperative in the Greek language. It's a participle. It's better translated keeping. Here's what he's saying. As you and I understand who we are in Christ, and as we begin to do battle against the flesh in the power of the Spirit, understanding who we are in Christ, Christ does a work in us, changing us from the inside out. And what happens is my life, my behavior, the way I live my life, begins to be changed and transformed in a moment-by-moment basis as Christ lives his life through me. Let me give it to you in a statement. Here's the point. The more who we are in Christ becomes Christ in us, the more our lives reflect who he is. If you get that, say amen. It's imperative that you understand that as we now transition in the book of 1 Peter. Because here's where we're going. He's about to begin to tell us, as we live this out, here's some examples of what it looks like in your everyday life. And here's the the real issue. As you and I allow Christ, who we are in Christ, to be Christ in us, and He lives His life through us, then... Others see Christ in us and are drawn to Christ in us and we get the opportunity to introduce them to Christ so that they become citizens of the same kingdom that you and I belong to. It's as we live our lives that we become effective in the mission. So here's what's happening in 1 Peter. All that I just said, he's been unpacking. Now what he's about to do is give us some examples. Does that make sense? Now, if you don't get that, you're going to miss what I'm about to read to you. What he's going to do is not give us an exhaustive list. 
but he's going to give us some examples of what it looks like for who I am in Christ to be Christ in me and my life reflect him. The first example he gives us is what it looks like as you and I live as believers in secular society. As we live our lives every day, specifically in relationship to governing authority and others in society, what does it look like as we relate to them? That's what he's writing about. So let's pick it up in verse 13 of chapter 2, and this is where we're going to focus today. Verse 13, here's what he says. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors who as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Now, before I read on any further, you must understand this in its context. Otherwise, you think he's just dropping in some things about how you and I are supposed to deal with government. That's not what he's saying here. Here's what he's saying. Here's who you are in Christ. You are chosen of God. You are loved by God. You're a holy nation, a royal priesthood. And who you are in Christ now is becoming Christ in you. And to the degree that Christ in you begins to live his life through you, then your behavior is changed. Let me give you an example of what that looks like. Submit to governing authority. You see what he's describing here is what it looks like for Christ in me to live his life through me. Let's read on. Look what he says. Verse 15. For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people. We could preach a whole sermon just out of those three words. Don't have time to this morning, but honor all people. Love the brotherhood. There's a whole sermon in those three words. Fear God. Honor the king. Now I know already what some of you are thinking. You are thinking, Peter just didn't understand what our government today was going to be like. (laughs) Because if Peter had simply understood, uh, he had no idea where this thing was going. If Peter had understood... What our government is today, there is no way that Peter would have written what he wrote. Now, before you run too far down that trail of ignorance, let me call it what it is, all right? Before you run too far down that trail, let me remind you of a couple of things. Number one, Peter wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God who is eternal and exists outside the parameters of time. Now, here's what that means. He can see 2015 as clearly as he can see 15 A.D. He sees it all at once because he exists eternally outside the parameters of time. So there's no limitation to his ability to understand. That's the one who really authored this for us today. And a second reason why we need to pay attention to what Peter says is, have you forgotten the government that Peter was under when he wrote it? 
I mean, if you just go back to the opening of this letter, we looked at it last year, but chapter 1, verse 1, Peter says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. You know why they were scattered, right? Because the government had been persecuting them. These Christians were living all over this region because they were in fear of their lives from the persecution that was happening under the Roman Empire. And it's in that very government structure and system that Peter writes these words. This government that Peter was under was a government that allowed and encouraged slavery. There were estimated as many as 10 million slaves in the Roman Empire who were viewed as pieces of property and had no personal rights themselves. In the city of Rome itself, where this government was headquartered, one out of every three people that lived in the city of Rome were slaves. Think about that. One out of every three were slaves. Not only that, this government rested its power in absolute rulers, meaning that all the powers of state rested in the hands of one man, the Caesar of Rome. And the Caesar of Rome, the title that he chose to refer to himself was the title Kurios. You know what it means in English? Lord. It's the same title given to Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. The emperors of Rome saw themselves as gods and demanded that the people in Rome worship them as gods. Now, our government's out there a little bit on some stuff, right? We all know it. Depending on what, no matter what side of the aisle you sit on, you, you said, yep, our government's out there. And some of you are thinking totally different stuff. But we don't. listen, none of our leaders are saying, I'm a god, worship me. That's who he's writing to. Not only that, the taxation structure under the run. I know what, again, some of you think, listen, it's almost April 15th, Pastor. I know what's coming. Man. But did you know that in Rome, tax collectors sold themselves to the Roman government and were then given a license to extort money through taxation? Meaning the Roman government said, here's the percentage we want. Whatever you can get out of them above, get out of them above that, it's free reign. Do whatever you need to do. That's why when Zacchaeus came to Christ in the New Testament, Jesus led him to the Lord. Zacchaeus had to give back four times because he'd taken so much money. Four times what he was owed, he had extorted out of people's lives. Not only that, it's a government that persecuted Christians. Christians in Peter's day were encased in wax and burned at a stake to light Nero's gardens. Christians were crucified and thrown to wild beasts. And all of this done under the watchmanship of the government of Rome. Listen to me. When I read these words out of the Bible, they may sound radical to you and me. But I promise you, they sounded even more radical to the church in the first century when they heard it. They didn't live in a free society where... They were allowed to be Christians and live out their faith. They didn't live in a structure like we exist in today. If it sounds radical to you to think about submitting to government, you need to understand when they read it, can you imagine them getting this letter out there scattered in persecution and Peter has the audacity to say, hey, here's what it looks like for you to live out the Christian life. Submit to the authorities that are governing you. So what I want to do is I want to ask a couple of questions to bring some insight to this passage of Scripture. And 
It's an interesting passage of Scripture. It's one of the reasons I love teaching through books of the Bible because if we were just going to pick topics, this is probably not a topic I would pick to preach on. But when you study the whole counsel of the Word of God, it demands that we look at what the Scripture says to be true for us in our lives. And here's something we got to realize. As Americans, I'm going to talk to just the Americans in the room for a minute. We have settled too long for being American Christians and not living out being kingdom citizens. We have so interwoven our politics, and our faith, we don't know where one stops and the other starts at times. And I say this on both sides of the political aisle. One of the things I love about our church is its incredible diversity. When I travel and speak and try to tell the story of who you are, I tell the, I tell the people where I go, listen, I got as many MSNBC watchers as I got Fox watchers sitting in my church, right? We're, we're all over the map. There's a lot of diversity in here. And you're going to hear me say some things today, and you're going to immediately begin to see it through the lens of your political persuasion. But here's what you need to understand. We are something much more than American Christians. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. And what Peter is talking to us here is about how you and I are to live out who we are in Christ, allowing Christ in us to manifest his life, and do that in secular society. So, everybody all right? Okay, let me give you a disclaimer right up front. Hear me to the end. Don't form an opinion and walk out of here and say, well, Van said, no, don't leave early. Listen to the end, all right? And then if you don't like me by the end, you're just free not to like me, all right? But, but I want you to hear me all the way to the end because I want to try to tell you what these verses say. And honestly, we could spend six weeks unpacking these, so I'm going to try to give it to you the best I can in just the moments we have together. Here's the first question. As the people of God, what is my relationship to those in authority in society? That's the first question that Peter addresses here. He opens this example, and remember, that's what it is. It's an example. He's talking about who we are in Christ, Christ in us, behavior, excellent lives. Here's an example of what it looks like. Submit to governing authorities. He opens by reminding us that in society there are those in authority who have been given the responsibility to govern. And let me give you two biblical reminders about government. Number one, God established government as an authority. Let that sink in for a minute. Man didn't come up with the idea of government. God established government in society as an authority. (laughs) Look at verse 13. He says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. The word institution there is a word that is translated in the Greek language to create. And this particular word is never used in the New Testament to refer to anything created by anyone other than God himself. This term is never used to refer to something that man came up with. Man, It's a term that's used to refer to that which has been made by God. John MacArthur said it this way. God has created all the foundations of human society, family, work, and government. All of those have been created by God. Listen to the way Paul wrote about it. Some of you are looking at me like, I don't know if I believe you. Listen to what the Bible says. Romans 13, 1. 
Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Everybody okay? I didn't write it. I'm just reading it. Here's the point. God established the principle of governing authority. That means it was God's idea. That means my attitude towards government in principle is really a reflection of my attitude towards God and His infinite wisdom. It's in man's idea. It's God's idea. God created government. God established it as an authority in society. Now, I'm not saying, don't misunderstand me, I'm not saying that all government is godly. Just like God established parental authority in the home. God gave us parental authority. Doesn't mean that all parents do the right thing, but we're not throwing out the whole issue of parental authority just because there's some bad examples, right? We still believe in the principle. Why? Because it was God's idea. Government is God's idea. It was his design to have an authority in society to govern. And so if I just have bad attitude about government in general, it really says more about my relationship with God than it does the government because government was God's idea. I didn't figure I'd get a lot of amens there, but we need to know it. Here's the second point about government. God established government as an authority to serve by executing justice. Did you hear what he said in verse 14? For the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. That's why God gave us government. Government exists to punish those who break the law and to protect and defend those who abide by the law. And Paul tells us in Romans 13 that he gave us government as a minister of God to us. Here's what that means. God gave government to serve the people within a society by protecting their rights and their freedoms and defending the law that exists in the land. That's why God gave us government. Now... What then is our relationship to be to government? Well, let me say this before I give you a few words. Regardless of government's form or how well we think it's functioning, because here's the bottom line. We tend to even think that the only Christian way to govern is with a democracy like we do in the United States of America. You need to understand something. There is no biblical form of government. There's a biblical function of government. And there is a response that we are to have to whatever that form and function is. But the scriptures, although it's it's not real clear on what the form's to be, it's real clear on the function. But regardless of the form or the function, the Bible is very clear about what our response as kingdom citizens is to be to the government that we are under. And again, don't forget, he's writing these things to some people who were under a bad bad expression of government let me give you three key words to describe our relationship to government number one submit well we love that word again not a lot of rousing applause there with that word submit we just don't even like that word period it's first word in the text, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. The word submit means to willingly place oneself under the authority of another. And, and notice this. Every place in the Bible, in the New Testament, that talks about our relationship to government, every text of Scripture uses the word submit. Everyone. Submit. 
to place yourself under their authority. Here's the application. Understanding that governing authorities are God's design, I am to willingly place myself under their authority and obey the laws of my country, my state, my county, and my city. Listen, as long as governing authorities do not contradict the Bible, to disobey government authority is to disobey God. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I I was kind of listening, but that last thing, what did you just say, Pastor? (coughs) Unless our governing authority clearly contradicts the Word of God, we're to submit to government. And when we don't submit to government, we're not just disobeying and dishonoring government, we're disobeying God Himself. You say, you're going to have to show me that. I'm glad you asked. I'm going to show it to you. Matter of fact, we've already read it. Look at it again. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Look what he says. Put that up on the screen. He says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king or to one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do rape. Now read the next seven words out loud with me. For such is the will of God. How many of you want God's will for your life? Did you know there are some pieces of God's will for your life you don't even have to pray about? Because he's already told us. You have to pray about that. Should I submit to government? You have to pray about that. He said, here's the will of God. Let me make it real clear, real plain. The will of God is that you and I submit and subject ourselves to the governing authorities unless they're violating Scripture. Now, we're going to talk about that towards the end, so just hang with me. But in every other instance, for us to disobey government is really to disobey God. You heard it right there. For such is the will of God. You see, the principle of biblical authority is that God gave us authority in our life to protect us and to guide us. And in submitting to the authorities that God has given me, you know what I'm really doing? I'm really submitting to God. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. This is not me putting my faith in government. God help us, right? It's not us putting our faith in government. Here's what it is. God, I trust your infinite wisdom that unless they're violating Scripture, Lord, you have given me these governing authorities. And so as your child, I submit to their laws, their standards, and their precepts And God, if they're not right, I'm trusting in your infinite wisdom that you are big enough to change them. My job is to submit. Let me give you a second word. If you thought the first one was tough, this one's tougher. Honor. He says, honor the king. The word honor is a, a word that means to a continuous action of esteeming and honoring the office as an authority established by God. You see, you can submit without honoring. Every mom and dad in the room knows what I'm talking about. Say, what's the difference? You can tell your kid to take out the trash and they can submit, but they can do it without honoring. How do you know the difference? What are they kicking on the way to the 
street corner, right? There's submitting to, and then there's honoring. We're not called simply to submit. We're called to honor. Here's what that means. Submission is about the actions in my life. Honoring speaks about the attitude behind the action in my life. I'm not just to submit to governing authorities with my words, with my actions, and with my heart. I am to honor the governing authorities in my society. Now let's just be real transparent here for a minute, all right? We live in a society that's news media feeds off of the exact opposite of that principle. And again, I don't care which one you're watching, take your pick. Whichever side of the political spectrum the news media sits on, they do their best to find a phrase, a word, a statement that they can use and repeat over and over and over to dishonor as much as we can dishonor any leader on any side. And as Christians, listen to me, we have bought into that and at the water cooler at the office, in the line to pay for your groceries at Walmart, on the ball field, in your neighborhood, standing near the mailbox, having those conversations, we have bought into the line of our society, and like everybody else, what spews out of our mouth is constant dishonor of those in leadership. Here's what Peter says. Christ in you, living through you, looks different than that. It looks different than that. And listen. I know what we're thinking, because <laughs> I think it. I, I can't do that. Submitting and honoring. I can't do that. <laughs> You're right. You and I can't. But listen to me. Christ in us can. And that's why this whole thing fits together so beautifully. Who we are in Christ becomes Christ in us, what does that look like out there? Submission to and honoring of governing authorities. Let me show it to you. Look down at the end of 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to get here in a couple weeks. Chapter Verse 21, look what he says. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. But listen to what it says he did. He kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. Peter knew what they were thinking. The, 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 the disciples are in the first century. They're reading this, submitting to governing authorities, honoring the king that's trying to kill us. Peter, have you forgotten that piece of it? Peter could see in their eyes, man, they were already struggling with this principle. So he says, hey, 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 listen, remember what I'm talking about is who Jesus is. Do you remember how they treated him? Do you remember the persecution that he faced? Do you remember the challenges that he walked through? And yet Peter says, he never one time opened his mouth. He submitted to and he honored governing authority. It's Christ. In us. So, so, so let me ask you a question. Are you honoring? 
our leaders in society? By what comes out of your mouth? And the actions that you take? Listen, I know, I know this isn't popular teaching content for contemporaries. I know it's not. But let me tell you what it is. It's the first example Peter gives them of what it looks like to live Christ-like in secular society. Am I honoring? Now, just so you don't think this is just some pastor talking about pastor language, I, I, we, we sat down this week with a guy in our church who works in the federal government and totally unprepared, unscripted, asked him the question, how do you relate to governing authorities? As somebody within the government, but also somebody who's under government, how do you relate to governing authority? And I want you to hear what he said. As a Christian uh, that works for the, the federal government, uh, I relate to the governing authorities um, just as the Apostle uh, Paul and the Apostle Peter uh, communicated uh, in Romans chapter 13 and in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, that we are subject or we should be subject to the governing authorities. Uh, I think it's important, I think it's vital uh, when the parameters are established, governing authorities establish the parameters. It's extremely important for us as believers to, to follow those, those, those guidelines um, for that structure that has been set up for society to function. And so it's extremely important. And not only that, the scripture tells us clearly that we should go beyond as Christians, not just understanding the, the basic or following the basic parameters that have been established by the governing authorities, but to go further and to love those, to honor the king, to, to love your neighbor. And so it's, it's commanded to us to go beyond just the basic structure that the governing authorities has established. So you see, there's just a follower of Jesus who in his everyday life, out of the overflow of Christ in him, is living out the very same principles that Peter wrote to us about. Submit and honor. Let me add a third word that Peter doesn't mention, but Paul does in his writing. Paul in 1 Timothy adds the word pray. Let me show you the verse. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Listen to what it says. Paul says, First of all then... I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. Listen to what he says. For kings and, say the next word out loud, all who are in authority. Now you know what that means. All means those I agree with and those I don't agree with. Those who share my perspective. And those who do not share my perspective. Oh, sometimes we're really good about praying for the leaders we like and line up with us. He says we're to pray for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. All means those I agree with, those I don't. Listen, all means those who are governing well and those who are not governing well. We're to pray. Paul uses, we don't have time to unpack it here, but some of the strongest words in the New Testament to exhort God's people to pray for those in leadership roles in our government because of the influence they have on the lives of so many in our society. 
And I love the way he opened it. He said, first of all. Meaning the first response to government is not to join a political action committee. The first response for you and me to government is not to boycott. The first response is not to start a petition. The first response is to get on our knees before God and intercede on behalf of the leaders that are over us. I love the way A.J. Gordon said it. He said, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Let me tell you what I'm convinced of. If believers spend as much time praying for government leaders as we did complaining about and criticizing those leaders, our country would be different. Let's just get real transparent. Only you can answer for you. And only I can answer for me. Am I praying for them? Or do I fall on the side of simply complaining and criticizing about them? Listen, if we fall on the side of just complaining and criticizing about them, then we're just like the rest of society. That's what society knows to do. You don't have to teach anybody to do that. That that comes with the package, right? We can all complain and criticize with the best of them. Peter writes and says, hey, I know it's a tough government. I know you're living in a tough day. I know things are hard, but here's what I want you to do. Pray for them. Pray for them. Submit, honor, pray. The world should see Christ in our lives by how we relate to governing authority. Did you hear it? The world should see Christ in us. Remember what we're looking at here. Peter said, here's who Jesus is. Here's who you are in Christ. As Christ lives his life through you. Let me give you some examples of what excellent behavior looks like. Submit, honor, pray, governing authority. Let me give you a second question. We're going to wrap up with this. As the people of God, what is my relationship to others within society? Because here Peter doesn't just uh, um, describe our relationship to those in government. He describes our relationship to everybody else that we share society with. Look what he says in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16. Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. He begins to describe how we are to relate with people that we share society with. And the first word I'll give you is the word integrity. It's really what verse 16 is all about. The life that I live should be a reflection of who I am in Christ. He says, don't use your freedom. We're free in Christ. We love the fact that we're free in Christ. Amen? There's not one thing that we have to do today to perform or earn a right standing with God. We have been declared right with God. We're chosen. We're holy. We're beloved. And we are free in Christ. Amen? Hey, that's good news. But here's what he said. Don't you dare use your freedom. Don't you use your freedom in Christ for you to cover up stuff in your life that's not consistent with the character of who Christ is. Don't let it be a cloak or a covering for evil. Live with integrity. You see, our freedom in Christ must always result in the great joy of doing what is right. I love the way Thomas Schreiner said it in the New American Commentary. He said, all believers should do what is right and strengthen the social fabric. Here's what it means. 
Our society should be better because we live in it. You complain about Las Vegas? <laughs> Las Vegas should be a better place to live because you and I live in it. Christ in us, living through us, should impact our society. We should be model citizens. The lives that we live should be lived with integrity so that they can look at us and say, man, there is something different about those people. Integrity. Here's a second word. Honor. He says it, honor all people. We're to relate to those in society with honor. And I love that he says honor all. The word all here means the whole, everybody. Just that simple phrase alone condemns much of the church's rhetoric concerning those we share society with. We're quick to criticize, to blame, to condemn, to look down our noses at. When we look outside of the ring of believers and we see the way our society carries on its actions and its activities and its worldviews and its mindset, as Christians often we can be critical. We can Listen, you know why the world acts like they're lost? Because they're lost. We should not be shocked when lost people act like lost people. We shouldn't be shocked. We shouldn't be offended. We shouldn't be incensed. Tell we should do. We should be broken. I wrote this down. As believers, we live in a world that often does not share our values and convictions. We must learn to be true to who we are in Christ while at the same time honoring all people as made in God's image. And we just be honest, as the church in America, we don't do that well. We don't do it well. I love John MacArthur's statement. Here's what he said. Honor all people does not mean that they engage in mindless tolerance for everybody's conduct. But it does mean that they show proper respect for everyone as individuals made in the image of God. We're to honor everybody. Those that share our values, and listen to me, those that don't. And that's hard for us as Christians sometimes. But listen... We live in a world that doesn't share our values and convictions. And, and know this, increasingly more, it's not going to. And we've got to learn to live within that society. And I, I wrote this statement down this week. It was when I really believe the Lord gave me this statement. Here's what it says. We can be broken over the sin without breaking the relationship with the one caught in its grip. It's okay for us as Christians to be broken when we see a world that is moving away from God's standard and God. It's okay for that to break our heart. It's okay for us to grieve over that. It's okay for us to hurt on the inside when we see a society that is rapidly spiraling away from the law and the standard of God. We can be broken over the sin, but we don't have to break relationship with those that are caught in its grip. Now, I'm not saying we don't have to put boundaries and parameters in our lives. What I am saying is the only hope they have of ever hearing the gospel is hearing it through you and me. 
And if our tone is one of dishonor and condemning and criticism, we eliminate the very platform that we could ever have to engage in a real conversation about who Jesus is. And what happens is we let, not, we let what's not their problem so become our problem that we can't reach them with the gospel. Their problem is not the stuff. Their problem is they need Jesus. And we so let the stuff get in the way that we can't even have a conversation with them about who Jesus is. Does that make sense? We're to honor everyone. We're to honor all people. It's who Christ is. And listen, we've misrepresented Jesus to the world because of this principle. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is John 8 where... The woman is caught in, in adultery and brought to Jesus by the Pharisees, and they're trying to trip Jesus up. And they bring this woman and throw her at his feet and say, This woman's caught in adultery. The Bible says the law says we're to stone her to death. What do you say? They think they got him stuck, right? And Jesus just kneels down and he starts, the Bible says, scribbling in the dirt. And he looks up and he says, He who has no sin, let him, let him throw the first stone. Well, they start dropping their rocks and <laughs> all walking away, and there's nobody left but just Jesus and the woman. And then what he says to her absolutely dumbfounds me. Listen, listen, listen to what he said. He said, woman, where are those who condemn you? And you know what she says back to him? Look at it on the screen. Here's what she says back to him. There's no one, Lord. Now here's what's interesting. Here's a woman caught in the act of sin in the presence of God in the flesh. And yet... She doesn't sense condemnation. She's drawn to him because of the compassion that she'd never seen before. Now, I'm not saying he didn't deal with her sin. If you read on in the verses, he said, go and sin no more. He dealt with the sin. But we've so often misrepresented Christ that you ask the average person out in the world, what do you think about the church? Immediately they say, oh, they just condemn us. You know, They just point their finger at us and tell us where we're wrong. Listen, that's not who Jesus is. Yes, does it need to be dealt with? 100%. Yes. But our relationship to society is not one of... God didn't call us to be judge and jury. He called us to be witnesses. It's a big difference. Go to a courtroom. You'll see the difference. We're not the judge. We're a witness. We're telling what we know. So let me give you two closing thoughts, and I'm going to wrap up. Number one, we have an ultimate authority. There will be times in society where society and those in leadership in society deviate from God's standard and conflict with the law of God. What do I do then? Well, you rely on the example of every Christian before you that had to walk through that. If you go through the Bible, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel, Peter, and John, all these stories where the government said do this, it violated God's law, what'd they do? Here's what they did. They chose to humbly submit to a higher authority. Listen, we have an authority. Government's an authority created by God, but we got an authority that's higher than government, right? The one who created it, God himself. When government or those in leadership demand of us something that conflicts with the word of God, then we, listen, humbly submit to a higher authority. Here's what's interesting. You read Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel. Uh, you read about Peter and John or Paul and Silas. They never did it militantly. They never did it aggressively. They never printed up signs and t-shirts. They just humbly submitted to a higher authority. And here's the second thing they did. They chose to graciously accept whatever the consequences might be. Listen to me. As we live in this society that is moving away from God's standard, there will come a day 
when you and I have to make a decision, are we going to submit to a higher authority? And in doing so, are we willing to graciously accept whatever the consequences of that might be? We don't experience that very often. But there are times coming when we will. I preached in Southeast Asia last fall. Southeast Asia, the country that we were in, it's a closed country to the gospel, meaning you can't openly preach the gospel there. And we went in with a national, and he took me to a place to preach on a Sunday morning. When I was preaching there, he told me the last time an American preached the gospel there, the government had raided that facility. So he's invited us there to come and preach the gospel. The government says, don't do that. What do you do? You submit to a higher authority. Jesus said, go into all nations and preach the gospel to every person. So there's a higher authority than government when it comes to that. So we go in there, and he says, he says so if they raid, here's the car keys. I'm going this way. You go that way. And I'm thinking, what? But here's what he's saying. You've got to be willing to graciously accept whatever the consequences are in submitting to a higher authority. We have an ultimate authority. Here's the last thing. We have an ultimate mission. We have an ultimate mission. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, look what he says. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. Why? So that. Here's why this, what I'm talking about this morning, is such a big deal. So that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, Glorify God in the day of visitation. You see, it's as we live Christ out in secular society that they see Christ in us, and Christ in us draws them to himself, and we get the opportunity to unpack the gospel for them, and the mission is accomplished. The mission rises and falls based on us living out who Christ is in us in our everyday lives. That is the people of God in society.